This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. Well, good morning, everybody. It is six minutes past nine o'clock in Hayesville, North Carolina, and everywhere else in the Eastern Time Zone. Welcome to a Monday morning wake-up call on Sports Country Radio, the 27th day of March 2023. What a wild weekend of sports it was. The NCAA basketball tournaments, both the men and the women, have been absolutely insane this year uh, i mean it's you know you can you can chalk it up to uh parody if you want and there is no doubt that parody has uh happened a lot in women's basketball we have we've seen so many teams now stepping up in ways that we would have never seen even five years ago 10 years ago in women's basketball when it was a handful of teams that dominated now you know, we, we've seen so many upsets in women's basketball this year. It's crazy. It's a little bit easier to predict than the men. I mean, the, men are, the men's tournament is out of control. And I think, the, I think the seeding committee, the tournament committee that puts together these seeds, needs to take a really strong look at what they're doing because I think uh, it is obvious that they have overvalued the top seeds in this tournament by a lot. I mean, when you look at the final four that we have, and we'll talk a lot more about this in, in just a couple of minutes, but when you look at the final four that we have, with the exception of UConn, you could not have predicted any of these other three schools would be in there. And UConn, you can make a case, shouldn't even have been a four seed. They should have been higher. In a year where so many teams in the top 25 got knocked off, hell, the preseason number one didn't even make the, the tournament. You know, and we had so many changes at the top of the uh, of, of the rankings because of the constant losses. It was just uh, crazy. So we'll get to all that in a minute. But before we get to all the sports this weekend, just when I think things can't get nuttier in this country, it they do. The latest is I don't know if you saw this, but last week the principal of a charter school in Florida was forced to resign when parents lost their minds because a picture of Michelangelo's David was shown to a group of sixth-grade students in art class. And because it was a nude picture, you know, a, a, not a, a nude statue, People lost their minds, and one parent even called it pornographic. Two other parents complained because they weren't notified in advance that a nude would be shown. For God's sake almighty, this is Michelangelo's David. And I've been to Florence. I have seen 
this. It, it is absolutely the I'm going to tell you, I'm sure we've all seen pictures of it. Until you see it in person, it does not do justice to what Michelangelo did. Michelangelo created this thing back in the 1500s, folks. Well, what's great is, is now uh, the Florence Museum that hosts the David invited parents and students uh, from the charter school to come to Florence to see what it is and to show them that this is not pornography. The Florence mayor uh, tweeted an invitation for the principal to visit so he could personally honor her. And he said confusing art with pornography was ridiculous. The Italian newspapers are having a field day. They had a, a cartoon over the weekend that showed a uh, uh, that uh, depicted the David with his uh, with his privates covered by an image of Uncle Sam, and the word shame written across it. You know, um, look, Europe is becoming as right wing as the United States these days. The the conservative groups in the world right now, it's unbelievable what's happening. But even in Europe, where they are have become so conservative in many ways, they don't take shots at artwork, at great paintings and sculptures from, from, from times past. This isn't a porn hub, folks. Looking at a statue of David is not going online and looking at hardcore pornography. You know, and, and you know, a woman that, uh, that runs the museum said to think that someone would consider uh, David uh, pornographic means that you don't understand the concepts, concepts of the Bible that you don't understand Western culture, and that you don't understand Renaissance art. Well, is there any surprise that these right-wing conservative nut jobs don't understand that? In Florida, where, where, where we're banning books at record rates, and this school, this charter school, folks, it's 400 students, okay? It's been around for three years. They're now going on their third principle in three years. But it follows a curriculum that is designed by Hills- Hillsdale College, which is a conservative Christian school in Michigan, right, in Michigan, that is frequently consulted by the governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis, a guy who is going to run for president, ladies and gentlemen, on educational issues. This is insane. This is insane. You know, this is... Ron DeSantis is not going to be happy until Florida becomes the Christian equivalent of Iran. 
you know, we talk about, you know, a theocracy, right? Iran is a theocracy. It's run by the religious leaders. Is that what we want? Is, you know, is that what all these conservative uh, evangelical Christians want? Do they want our country run as a theocracy? You know, are we going to start stoning people next and, you know, is for adultery just like they do in Islam? Is that what we're is that what we're looking for here, folks? Firing a principal because the teacher showed a picture of one of the greatest sculpture pieces of sculpture in history is unbelievable. And this guy that that runs that state is running for president. Be afraid. Be very afraid. What's going on in this country is nothing short of a moral crusade against the sexuality, the human body, uh, gender uh, expressions. It's, it's about fear. And it's about nobody's allowed to be different. We all have to be, we all have to get in line. And we all have to be the same. My favorite musical artist of all time is Harry Chapin. And uh, he wrote a song called Flowers Are Red. And it's about the educational system where kids are not allowed or, at, at, you know, back in the old days, were not allowed to be free thinkers. Flowers have to be red. Leaves have to be green. If you did anything else, there was something wrong with you. And that's what we're going to now in this country. That's where we're headed. And every time you vote for one of these people like Marjorie Taylor Greene or Matthew Goetz or Ron DeSantis or uh, uh, the, the guy who is the governor of Texas, Abbott, Anytime you vote for these right-wing, ultra-conservative people, that's what we're going to. It means your kid is never allowed to think outside the box. You are not allowed to think outside the box. And God forbid... There's a work of art that has a naked breast or a penis. Are you kidding me? Michelangelo's David as pornography. This is what we've come to in this country. It's sickening. Um, and along with that, there was a story uh, in the Associated Press this weekend that uh, the attempts to ban books hit record highs in 2022. So this goes right along, folks, with what we're doing. And some of it has to do with racist language. Like, you know, one of a, the people have tried to ban Huck Finn for years. But the majority of all these complaints, okay, they all come from conservative groups. And they all, almost all, have to do with LBGTQ themes or racial themes. Almost every one of them. You know, there there have been uh, laws that have been passed or proposed in Arizona, Iowa, Texas, Missouri, Florida, Oklahoma to make it easier to ban books. It's unreal. Martin County in Florida 
removed dozens of books from middle and high schools, and from people like Toni Morrison, who won a Pulitzer, for God's sake. Uh, Jody Picoult, who's, who's written tons of great stuff. James Patterson books, thrillers, for God's sake. Have been, are you kidding me? There were books, and we talked about this on the show before, books about Henry Aaron and Roberto Clemente that were banned uh, because of uh, the talks about uh, uh, racial themes and overcoming racism to uh, make it into the major leagues. Uh, the, a couple, uh, the Roberto Clemente book has uh, since been uh, uh, restored to the shelves. But these are the kinds of things that we're doing. From banning books to banning art, what's next? They're coming for you, folks. They're coming for your houses. They're coming for your bedrooms. They're coming for everything. You know, and 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 you know, and I've t- anybody that has listened to this show knows that I was a registered Republican for my entire life, up until the last six years or so when Donald Trump became president and I got the hell out because the Republican Party that is there now resembles nothing of the Republican Party that I signed up for. You know, I'm all about uh, fiscal conservatism, small government. You know, that's that's my Republican Party, not uh, the cultural Nazis, because that's what this has become. The cultural and racism Nazis. And that, you know, and it, it's just, uh, ugh. I'm getting too old for this. Okay, let's get to sports before I give myself a stroke here on a Monday morning. Um, so the final four. Florida Atlantic, San Diego State, Miami, UConn. Three of those teams, the first three, making their first appearance in the Final Four. It's the first time since 1970. 53 years was the last time that three first-timers were in the Final Four. The combined seeding totals of the four teams left is 23. It's the highest total since seeding began in 1979. This is the first time ever that not one single top three seed has made it to the final four. Florida Atlantic, a nine seed, two five seeds in San Diego State and Miami, and a number four seed in Yukon. Unbelievable. So the matchups Saturday, San Diego State will go against Florida Atlantic. So one of those teams will be making its first ever appearance in the NCAA tournament or NCAA final. Uh, if you care about betting, which obviously I don't, uh, San Diego State is a one-and-a-half-point favorite, and Miami, a uh, five-and-a-half-point underdog to UConn. And quite frankly, uh, based on what I saw from the UConn's game against Gonzaga on Saturday, that's not enough. <laughs> uh, what UConn did to Gonzaga this weekend, folks, was Insanity. I mean, I thought that it was going to be a good game. This is a Gonzaga team that led the nation in scoring. Averaged 89 points a game. UConn beat them 82-54. to 54. I mean, just shut them down. Shot, held them to 33% shooting. They made just 2 of 20 from three-point range. 
uh, UConn won the two games in the West region by 23 and 28 points. Uh, it, it was uh, just – this game was close at halftime, and then UConn came out in the second half and just absolutely killed them. Outscored them 43-22 to 22 in the second half. Drew Timmy, great player, had 36 points in the game before against UCLA, was held to 12 points, 10 rebounds, shot 5 of 14. Only one other Gonzaga player scored in double figures. Unreal. In the meantime, Jordan Hawkins, 20 points. Adama Sanogo, 10 points, 10 boards. Alex Caravan had 12. Uh, what Andre Jackson has done is unbelievable. He almost had a triple-double. He had eight points, nine rebounds, and 10 assists. Just absolute dominance from this UConn team. And if you looked at the metrics, you know, and I'm not a, a big analytics guy. I don't look that deep into it. But if you looked at the metrics, UConn was, by most objective metrics, was the eighth best team in the country, which me- meaning they should have been a two seed before this tournament ever started. You know, but when you look at the fact that when they seeded this, you know, uh, Purdue lost in the first round. It was 16 seed. A seven-loss team, Kansas, which was a defending champion, was also named a top seed. You know, I mean, you looked at that and you go, that doesn't compute. And it used to be that how a team was playing at the end of the season made a big difference. And if that was the case, UConn was one of the hottest teams in the country. So that was an absolute dismantling. And now UConn gets a Miami team that knocked off number two seeded Texas. 88-81 to yesterday. Jordan Miller, an unbelievable game. 27 points. This was as close to perfection as you can get. He went 7-for-7 from the field, 13-for-13 from the foul line. A Miami team that was down 13 points with 13 minutes to play. Came all the way back, tied it up at 79. And then after a foul, a couple of free throws, and then a steal and a layup, and the game was over. Then it, The only question then was the final score. And for Jim Laranega, what a, a great story. You know, that he did, and he was quite honest about this. You know, they used the transfer portal. When the NCAA changed the transfer rules where, you know, it used to be where you would, when you transferred, you had to sit out a year before you could play again. Now it's it's the equivalent of the Wild West. You know, the first time you transfer, it's a freebie. You can go and you can play right away. Well, uh, his third and fourth leading scorers, and uh, he is no stranger to doing it as an underdog. He took George Mason, George Mason to the Final Four as an 11 seed. 17 years ago. This guy can flat-out coach. So that should be interesting. Florida Atlantic is a team that uh, got close. All came to that small school in Boca Raton um, from bigger schools. They weren't playing as much or they weren't doing as well. And now they come down to Florida Atlantic, and they are 35-3. and three. So uh, it is going to be 
a lot of fun. But I, it would be a great – that Florida Atlantic school, that would be a great story. I think UConn, obviously, based on uh, who's left in the tournament, I think UConn is uh, the prohibitive favorite here. I'd be shocked if UConn doesn't win another national title. You know, and, and if UConn wins it, by the way, that would be they would be just one of the fourth school to win the championship with three or more coaches. Jim Calhoun and Kevin Ollie, of course, also did it uh, for UConn. So if Dan Hurley pulls this off, he'll join Kentucky, North Carolina, and Kansas as the fourth school to uh, ever win multiple titles with three or more coaches. Um, the San Diego State game was a lot of fun, too. That one goes down right to the wire, and the referees kind of decided this one, but, and Creighton fans were losing their minds on this, it was the right call. There is no doubt about it. Uh, Darian Trammell was going up for a shot, and Ryan Nebhard clearly fouled him. He had a hand on his left hip or his right hip and was pushing him to the side as he was up in the air for a jump shot. He didn't hit the hand that was taking the shot, but he his other arm was pushing him, throwing off his balance, and it was absolutely the right call with 1.2 seconds left. Now they missed the first free throw, but he made the second one. And then, you know, they had it. Creighton had one last gasp. And uh, Baylor Scheinman threw, a, who was a high school quarterback, by the way, threw the inbounds pass the length of the floor all the way down to the opposite end line. But. Uh, his teammate couldn't catch it. It ended up uh, going out of bounds, and they reviewed it, and they determined that time had expired before the ball landed out of bounds. And San Diego State escapes with the 57-56 to win. Unbelievable weekend. And I can't wait. Now, I mean, you know, the worst part is now we got to wait, you know, until Saturday and Sunday, or until Saturday for the Final Four and then Monday for the championship game. But, man. I don't know. I, I don't know that the Final Four can be as good as the rest of this tournament has been because it has been uh, one jaw dropper after another. It's thirty minutes past the hour. We're going to take a break. We're back in a minute. You're listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It is thirty-two minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the Wake Up Call on a Monday morning. By the way, the game times for the uh, NCAA Men's Final Four. Uh, Saturday, San Diego State at Florida Atlantic, 6.09 Eastern time. And then the Miami-UConn game uh, will tip off is scheduled for 8.49. God knows if it'll be on time. It's going to be a late night on Saturday night. Uh, But number five, San Diego State, and number nine, Florida Atlantic at 6.09. And then Miami, the number five seed against number four, UConn, at 8.49 on Saturday. As far as the women's tournament goes, uh, the UConn women – are out. They fail to make the Elite Eight uh, for the first time since 2005. And I'm here to tell you that that's a good thing. Um, you know, the, the constant dominance by uh, the UConn women, you know, it's great if you're a <laughs> if you live in Connecticut, right? But uh, it has not been great 
for women's basketball and the fact that there are other schools now that have come to the, t- the top, you know, obviously South Carolina being one of them. Um, Ohio State uh, has arrived on the scene. Ohio State getting to a place in the NCAA tournament they haven't been in, uh, you know, 25 years. Uh, uh, Iowa, same thing. I mean, it's just great for women's basketball. And, look, you know, nobody's feeling bad for UConn, but it was the toughest season Gino Arion has had in 38 years with all the injuries and everything, and they just laid an egg this weekend against uh, against uh, Ohio State. There's no other way to put it. 25 turnovers, 18 of them in the first half. When you look at this, you know, UConn shot 45%. Their defense was good. They held Ohio State shooting uh, to just 38%. UConn did everything right in this game except take care of the basketball. And Ohio State pressed them the entire game. And uh, Ohio State scored 23 points off of turnovers. UConn lost this game by 12. Well, 23 points came off of turnovers. So you cut that in half, UConn wins that game. That's how bad it was. You know, I mean, it was just nuts. That's a game that UConn uh, could have won, but the press killed them. They turned the ball over 16 of the 32 possessions that Ohio State pressed. That's hard, you know, it's, it's, that's hard to do. It's hard to survive games like that. And if you're Ohio State, you know, when you're heading uh, into the uh, Final Four, you got to think that that press is going to be something that you're going to try again. Uh, UConn just never seemed to be able to uh, to get with it. Uh, yesterday's games, Caitlin Clark with one of the biggest games of her career, 41 points, 12 assists, 10 rebounds. Number two, Iowa uh, beats fifth-seeded Louisville 97-83, to and uh, Iowa now 30-6. and They haven't been to the Final Four in 30 years. Last time they were there was when Vivian Stringer, who is, uh, was you know, Rutgers' coach, played at Iowa. That's the last time they were to the Final Four. They hadn't even been to the uh, the Elite Eight since 2019. That was the 11th triple-double of uh, Caitlin Clark's career, 19th in NCAA tournament history, and the first 30- and 40-point triple-double in March Madness history. So uh, she just continues to, uh, uh, to play at a very, very high level, and I can't wait to uh, to see what she does uh, in the Final Four. She's uh, she's only 16 points away, by the way, from scoring 1,000 points in one season. That's only been done once in the history of Iowa basketball, and only four other players have ever done it. One of them was Matty Segrist from Villanova, who did it this season. But that is uh, 1,000. You talk about a lot of people, if you score 1,000 points in a career, it's considered a, a, a great milestone, Right. She, she's going to do it in a season. Unbelievable. Uh, LSU also gets to the Final Four. They beat Miami 54-42. Uh, so the Miami men advance, but the Miami women don't. Their uh, Cinderella run comes to an end. Kim Mulkey, who just returned to LSU, look, she was so good as the coach at Baylor. And she still thinks that her team is rebuilding. She, It's got, you know, I mean uh, – Nine new players, you know, and uh, first time that LSU has been 
to the Final Four in 15 years. So a great performance by them, and now they will wait to see what happens tonight. There are two other games tonight for the final two spots in the Final Four. Number one, South Carolina, a prohibitive favorite over Maryland tonight. South Carolina, 35-0. and Aaliyah Boston, uh, the player of the year last year, maybe player of the year this year if it's not uh, Maddie Segrist or Caitlin Clark, I would imagine would be her biggest competition for that. Uh, and Maryland and South Carolina played earlier this season. They played the first week of the season. South Carolina won that game 81-56. to I don't expect tonight to be any different. That game is at 7 o'clock. And then the 9 o'clock game, number one, Virginia Tech uh, against number three, Ohio State, who just knocked off UConn. Um, Virginia Tech is having a hell of a year. They're 30-4, and four, but they have never been this far. They've won 14 in a row, but they have never gotten as far in the tournament as they had. Uh, they beat uh, Tennessee 73-64 to 64 to uh, get to the Elite Eight, so now they will hopefully get to the Final Four, and we could have two number one seeds, a number two seed, and a number three seed in the women's tournament, which is a lot more sanity <laughs> than, than we saw in the men's tournament. So, uh, anyway, great basketball over the weekend, and uh, my wife... <laughs> My wife, God love her, she's probably ready to divorce me because uh, she had to work a lot this weekend, but when she was off, there was nothing but sports on television, basketball everywhere, and uh, she's taking it well. (laughs) She's taking it well. Uh, Of course, I also watched baseball this weekend. Uh, By the way, this was the last weekend without meaningful baseball until November. My my wife heard that one and rolled her eyes, and uh, but uh, spring training will end this week. Opening day is three days away on the thirtieth of March. The Red Sox will open at Fenway Park. I'm sure it's, uh, the weather actually is supposed to be uh, in the low sixties at Fenway uh, for their opening game. So that's a that's a break. Uh, so they will open up uh, coming up in three days. They will play. Uh, today against Atlanta, but uh, everyone's talking about what Chris Sale did yesterday, making his final spring training start of the season. Went five innings, pitched very, very well. One mistake. He gave up a two-run home run in the top of the fourth. That was about it. Other than that, he had all his pitches. He was throwing a slider. Uh, he sat his fastball 94-95, topped off at 98 Um he looked like the dominant Chris Sale we've seen, and it's the first time since 2019 that he is going to be on the roster on opening day. Think about that. This is a guy that was one of the best pitchers in baseball. The Red Sox signed him to a huge inst- extension, and since then, elbow inflammation, Tommy John surgery, a broken rib, a broken pinky, and a broken wrist. That's all happened to him in the last four seasons. I mean, it's unreal. Uh, And one of the things I liked yesterday is after his um, start, he was interviewed uh, on Nesson, and he was humble. And, and, you know, there wasn't any of – no bravado or anything. He – the thing that he kept saying was, I'm appreciative and I'm grateful to be here, grateful to have the opportunity, grateful – to be healthy, um, 
and kept thanking people for hanging with him and giving him the opportunity to continue his career. Um, you don't hear that very often. And, I, and I've said before, when Chris Sale uh, first came to the Red Sox, I was not a huge fan. I was a huge fan of his pitching. I was not a huge fan of his personality, but, you know, I was seeing it from afar, from Chicago, and you heard about some of the things he did or some of the things he said, and you go, eh. But it turns out that this guy is just one of those guys that's not afraid to speak his mind, but he also is a guy that understands that he's playing a game for a living and that he is very fortunate to be doing what he is doing. You'll love to see that. So he will pitch the second game for the Red Sox. Uh, they open up on the 30th. The 31st is a planned off day because on opening day, you just never know what kind of weather you're going to get. So they always usually schedule in an off day right after that in case of bad weather or snow. Because <laughs> And we've seen snow, you know, uh, late in March. So uh, uh, there's an off day on uh, Friday. But then he will pitch against the Baltimore Orioles on Saturday. And, man, I tell you what, any hope that the Red Sox have for this season hinges on him being healthy all year and being able to take that ball every fifth day. I mean, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about that. I mean, it also means Corey Kluber, who's going to be the opening day starter, has to pitch well, and they need to get James Paxton back, and they need Brian Bayo to be if, if, if. But one of the guys that believes is Alex Cora, and he keeps saying, he says, look, our team knows what we can do. He said, nobody else does. But we know what we can do, and and we understand that we don't have a big margin for error. But we believe that that we can make some things happen this year. So, uh, Tristan Cassis was told officially the worst kept secret in baseball that he he officially made the team. No surprise there. The guy who was surprised, Zach Kelly, um, who threw ten innings this spring. You know, it's a small sample size, but that's what you get in spring training. But pitched to a two seven zero ERA, found out that he has made the opening day roster the first time in his career. He will be on a roster for opening day. He's very happy about that, very excited. Uh, Kike Hernandez got hit yesterday in the game uh, on the forearm, close to the wrist. Uh, Stayed in the game, played a couple more innings, then they took him out. Uh, They said it was mostly for precautionary issues, and uh, Alex Cora said he's going to be okay. Matter of fact, they expect him to play today uh, against Atlanta. A couple of uh, decisions the Sox still have to make. Uh, who's going to be the backup catcher? Connor Wong is going to catch today. Uh, Alex Cora said he's comfortable with him, but the Red Sox still haven't made a decision. They have to make a decision on uh, Jorge Alfaro, who has hit the ball well this spring, um, has a lot of offensive pop, but if he is not put on the Red Sox roster, he can opt out of his contract, so he will go elsewhere if they don't keep him on the roster. And they have to make a decision what they're going to do about Raimel Tapia, who's also had a great spring. Um... So we'll see. Uh, and one other thing that happened this weekend, Kenley Jansen, the guy who was signed to be the Red Sox closer, had to leave Friday's game because he was lightheaded. Now, you immediately start to panic a little bit when you hear that because um, he had a heart, he's had heart issues in his career. He's had a couple of uh, uh, ablations of his heart, and uh, you know, and he, he missed some time last year with the Atlanta Braves. I think he missed a couple of weeks. Uh, because of an irregular heartbeat, and you know, supposedly they think they have that under control. They said the lightheadedness had nothing to do with his heart. They think it might have been dehydration or some kind of a, a, a bug. They're not sure, but they said it was not related to his heart. But anytime you hear that, and it's something the Red Sox are going to have to monitor, 
um, you know, and and you know, despite that last year, he still you know saved forty games for the Atlanta Braves. So uh, this guy still has it, but that's something that uh, you see that and your your heart just kind of stops a little bit. Um, and the Yankees announced yesterday that uh, Anthony Volpe, twenty one years old, who has played a grand total uh, of I think uh, twenty games in Triple A, is going to be their starting shortstop. He's played 17 games in the Grapefruit this year, hit 314 with three homers, five RBI, um, 22 games of experience at AAA. He is going to be their starting shortstop. This is a kid who grew up in Manhattan, moved to New Jersey, grew up a Yankee fan, uh, was the 30th overall pick in 2019 uh, out of high school in New Jersey. Uh, he had a, a college commitment to go to Vanderbilt and decided to sign with the Yankees, and who can blame him? And now here he is, the starting shortstop for the New York Yankees on opening day. That's got to be uh, quite a head rush for that young kid. Uh, you want to know how bad finances are for the uh, Cincinnati Reds? You know, we've talked about the disparity between teams that spend money and teams that don't. If you look at the Cincinnati Reds payroll for 2023, Number one on that list, Joey Votto, $25 million. Okay, well, and Joey Votto's going to start the season hurt. Matter of fact, Joey Votto has said if he can't come back healthy and the way he uh, normally plays, he's going to retire. So we'll have to see how, keep an eye on that. Uh, Will Myers, $6 million, is their second highest player. So $25 million for Joey Votto, right? Then $6 million for Will Myers. It's a big difference between the top one and two guys on the team. Who's number three on that list? You probably wouldn't guess this in a million years. The number three salary on the Cincinnati Reds this season is Ken Griffey Jr., making $3.6 million. Ken Griffey Jr., ladies and gentlemen, is 51 years old and retired over a decade ago. He is the third highest player on the Cincinnati Reds payroll because he deferred so much of his money. Think about that for a minute. A guy who's been retired for a decade, who was the hitting coach for uh, Team USA in the World Baseball Classic. One of the greatest players in the history of baseball. Third highest player on the Cincinnati Reds this season. But no, the Cincinnati Reds don't have a have, have a problem with payroll. Good Lord. 47 minutes past the hour. we got to take a break. We're back in a minute. You're listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It is 49 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the wake-up call on a Monday morning. Uh, the Boston Bruins continue to roll. They were without Patrice Bergeron, Brad Marchand, Hampus Lindholm yesterday, three of their top players, not to mention the guys that have already uh, been on the shelf with injuries like Taylor Hall and uh, Nick Foligno. Um, they still beat the second-best team in the Eastern Conference yesterday as uh, they wiped out the – Carolina Hurricanes in Carolina, a place that they generally do not play well. They beat them 4-3 in a shootout yesterday. And uh, David Pasternak with two goals. He now has 51 goals on the season. Um, First time he has reached the 50-goal mark. It is his ninth NHL season. 97 points on the season. Uh, He just uh, continues to amaze. Uh, by beating the Hurricanes, by the way, the Bruins now have a winning record against every team they have faced this season. 
They haven't done that in a full season since 1969. Pretty impressive. 57-11-5. They uh, have tied the 1970-71 Bruins team by uh, for most wins uh, in a season. They have nine games left to set a new NHL record, which is 63. So they would have to win six of those nine uh, to set that record. And frankly, at the end of the day, Bruins have already clinched the, the Atlantic Division. They've already going to – it's pretty much assured they are going to have the best record in the Eastern Conference, actually in all of the NHL. Um, it would be nice to get the new the, the NHL record for wins in a season, but at the end of the day, the Bruins probably don't care because at the end of the day, they if they win 63 games and don't win the Stanley Cup championship, does it really matter, right? The last time the Bruins were this good was back in you know in the seventies when they ran through the regular season roughshod over the rest of the league and then got bounced out of the playoffs. You know we saw that happen to Tampa Bay uh, several years ago where they were the number one points team in the NHL and lost in the first round of the playoffs. So at the end of the day. You know, all these things are nice. You know, 27 road wins, which is a club record, you know, and all these other things that they've done, it's great. But they got to finish the deal, you know, and that, that means uh, uh, the Stanley Cup and uh, playoff hockey is completely different than regular season. I'm telling you if, you, if you don't watch a regular season hockey game all season, I, I, I get it. Watch the playoffs. It's a different, different game, and it's, a, it's much more enjoyable. Um, only other uh, NHL news I got from yesterday, uh, the Los Angeles Kings uh, set a franchise record with a point in 12 straight games. They also finished off their best homestand ever. They went 5-0-2 uh, in seven games. The Kings now just two points behind Vegas for best record in the Western Conference. They want to get that, obviously, to set up home field or home field, home ice advantage um, uh, through the playoffs. So uh, a big one. Uh, for them, their next game is against Calgary. Calgary is four points out of the wild card slot, so they're just a couple of wins out. So that means a lot for Calgary. So Los Angeles is going to have uh, uh, its hands full because they have to go to Calgary uh, for that game, and that is coming up on Tuesday night. In the NBA yesterday, uh, the Boston Celtics played without Jason Tatum. Jalen Brown said, no problem, I got you. 41 points, 13 rebounds. The Celtics absolutely annihilated the San Antonio Spurs 137 to 93 yesterday, as they should do. The San Antonio Spurs stink. <laughs> San Antonio has won 19 games all season. The Celtics now 52 and 23. They are just a game and a half back of the Milwaukee Bucks for best record in the Eastern Conference. They are two and a half clear of the Philadelphia 76ers right now. Uh, all of a sudden, the Celtics, which kind of uh, hit a bit of a lull, have now won seven of the last nine and have themselves uh, in much better position. Uh, as I said, uh, Milwaukee and Boston, Milwaukee has one game in hand, so they really, when you think about it, it's a game and a half in the standings, but it's really two games because they actually have one extra game to play. Uh, the Celtics will be in action again on Tuesday. They will play at Washington uh, another team that is struggling to try to get into the playoffs, but right now with a 33-42 and 42 record should be a game that the Celtics win. Whether or not they have Jason Tatum for that, they don't know. He is sidelined. He's got a left, a left hip contusion. 
um, and considering it's it's the Wizards, they may just try to take that uh, that game off for him as well. Uh, the LeBron James came back yesterday for the Lakers, and uh, but they lost to the Chicago Bulls, one eighteen to one oh eight. Just the second time, by the way, in his career that LeBron James has come off the bench. How about that? Uh, he came in uh, about midway through the first quarter, uh, ended up with 19 points. Uh, he had been off for about a month. Lakers right now in playoff position, but it's a very tenuous one. Uh, they are just one game from being out of the playoffs, So, uh, uh, and uh, the Lakers right now are struggling. But you know what's funny? They played better without LeBron James uh, than they did with him. I'm not sure what that says, but uh, read into that what you will. That is going to do it for us here today. We're going to be back tomorrow with another edition of the Wake Up Call. By the way, if you missed my rant this morning about uh, Michelangelo's David and the uh, the principal getting fired down in uh, uh, Florida, and uh, oh my God, if you missed it, you can catch it uh, on on my podcast. Uh, it's on Amazon Music, Apple Music, Spotify. We get a couple of hundred people downloading it every day in addition to the people that listen to the show live, so I appreciate it. But uh, if you missed that rant this morning, uh, you can find it where you get your favorite podcasts. Uh, we're going to leave you this morning with some music from George Strait. It's called Give It Away. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country.